Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcasts. G'day and welcome to another extra special edition of Thrush and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast that will lead a horse to water but can't make it drown. Speaking of whores, I'm Aaron, and because Gareth is a jobbing actress, I'm Wrangleless today. Instead, I'm joined by one of our favourite guests. You last saw his work with the 2021 Oscar nominations because he's a tech-directing genius who has like 151 Emmys to his name when some of us have only none. He's one man behind the curtain who you want to pay attention to. Please welcome back, representing Team Punk. It's Jonathan X. Oi, oi, oi. Oi, oi, oi. How you doing? Happy to be here, man. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely thrilled, as uh, everyone at home will will know by now that Gareth has a day job. But you were last here in episode 10, and now you're here for episode 30. So does that make you Jonathan Triple (laughs) X? Absolutely. I'll take that. I can live with it. Cool. Wow. Episode 30. Yes. Already. Can you believe? (laughs) That's great, man. Now, did you end up watching the Oscars recently? I saw your name in the credits again. Yeah. That's probably the highlight of the show for me and my family as we're watching the show. Then we just, okay, quickly, let's watch credits because they go by so fast to Mm -hmm. see if I get a credit. And yeah, it's always nice. It's a big thrill, especially for my daughters, but uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, It took a lot of heat in the press. The numbers are really, really bad you know they were trying to come you know blame it on covid and and of course some voices were trying to make the issues of diversity and inclusion Mm -hmm. the issue and blah 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 but overall i thought it was a a great noble effort i felt very very bad for the video operator because the windows are so large Mm -hmm. you know the sun was killing some of the shots you know creating but once the sun went down that room just it just popped it was beautiful so i thought there was a, a lot of good things they tried to do and uh, I know some people were upset that they put all the musical performances in the pre-show, but it also gave time for people to speak more yeah. and their acceptance speeches, which is always the best part because people speak from the heart. They don't know what to do. And it's a, some of them are actually shocked that they won. So overall, I, I enjoyed it, but I, I always watch, uh, enjoy watching the quality of the production, the craftsmanship of the people who were working behind the scenes. And I have a great appreciation for that. Yeah, and I thought that the train station looked nice. So it didn't surprise me that it was in a train station because it was running late as usual. But um, <laughs> well, it, it clocked in at three fifteen, so yeah. that was kind of that was kind of like the norm. So mm-hmm. it, it really wasn't that bad. It, it had a fairly good pace for it, you know. But yeah, yeah. But I, I like the location too. And I think having them at tables like they do at the Golden Globes, I, I just think for them it's a lot nicer. Especially the women uh, nipped and tucked and all that jazz in high heels and all that. They don't want to be sitting in a chair like that. Let them have a drink. Let them have a meal for crying out loud. So I thought that, that was nice. Yeah, well, well, well if, you, if you remember the Golden Globes, I think that's like the Beverly Hilton. Mm-hmm. And if, if you look at some of the wide shots, the for the camera operators to maneuver the tables, that main floor area is very, very tight and congested. Yeah, very I can imagine. tight. Now the now the train station, the space that they were using, there seems to be a lot more ability for movement mm-hmm. of the operators and also different blocking. How you if you notice how they use the stairs coming down to walk and talks, suspense. There yeah. was a little bit of issues with controlling line of sight, and of course they were doing more. I would say cinematic 
camera composition, like the far left, far right offsets, things of that nature, and a lot of movement going from point A to point B. So, but it, it like I said, it was, it was a noble effort, and I and I enjoyed it. Yeah, and as you say, the longer time for the speeches I thought was good. But one thing that annoyed me, I think, and I know it's a response to everyone's criticism every year is that the in memoriam just felt incredibly rushed. Okay, here's here's my own, the only, the only, cause like opinions, you know, yeah. everybody has an opinion. Everybody's like, the only thing that I did not like and I thought was a mistake. The, some people ripped the song, the song was fine. The song that they mm-hmm. used is beautiful. The only mistake they made when the song had the tempo change they sped up the dissolve rate between the images. Yeah. And that was the mistake. They should have extended that at least one more bar, maybe mm-hmm. two bars, because even I, as soon as it happened, I knew what was happening. Yeah. So I was anticipating the tempo change and the dissolve rate change. And I couldn't keep up between the face and the text, the face and the text. So that was the only negative. That's yeah. the, the only, it was so unfair to the people whose images were there during the tempo chance because it was quick, 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 and then it slowed back down again. So that was, that would be the only thing I would have fought for to change yeah. was that dissolve rate and the tempo change of the, of the, of the music itself. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame. Yeah, but there's, I mean, food for thought, you know, next time people will, will correct it, learn from your mistakes, and, and, you know, who knows who they'll hire as a producing team next year. Mm-hmm. And who knows what state the world's going to be in next year. So, all right, guess what? We have another diva in the studio. Our next guest is one of Broadway's funniest and fiercest thespians, a man so hysterical that he can even break the monotony of my never-resting bitch face. On stage, he was boxed in on the Wicked Tour, got hooked on Pan in Finding Neverland, and pranced in a purple polyester suit at the prom. And if I had the time, I would pun the shit out of his other 100,000 credits from the past decade alone. Like how he was keen for Katie, but got blacklisted for throwing 30 rocks inside Amy Schumer. It really was the good fight. Anyway, with the lights of Broadway switched off and fly towers at half-mast, this hunty's bright, infectious, and lovable presence has kept our hearts aglow with his podcast, Josh Swallows Broadway. But today, he's here to gargle some classic Oz rock, so please give a warm Aussie g'day to the man who the French would call Josh Lemon, but the theatre world calls him sexy sexy big man it's none other than josh layman hi g'day 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 how are you doing hi thanks i'm so good thanks for having me that introduction was everything and you might hear my cat toby meowing because he's as needy as i am i'm adopted he's adopted so you do the math awesome so welcome to the show it's a bit of a trash fest i'm honored to be here yes no it's again uh i am the least talented person in the room i feel utterly inadequate right now the last time it was actually your friend uh, F. Michael Haney and Joanna Gleason uh-huh. in this exact position where I'm sitting there feeling utterly inadequate, but yes. You shouldn't feel inadequate in any way. When I met Joanna Gleason, it was after Into the Woods in Central Park. I was a sweaty, sweaty mess, and I always took a shower after the show. Mm-hmm. And so I walked out of the shower in my towel, and there was Joanna Gleason and Bernadette Peters. And I was like, oh, shit. Uh, hi, nice to meet you. And they were like, hello, naked man. Um, yeah, it was really embarrassing. So you've got one up on me. Isn't that the definition of a gay wet dream? Um, mm, yeah, yeah, I should have dreamed more specifically, but yeah. Possibly, yeah. But when you talk about walking out, I was doing the Women in Film Awards. I was directing that one a few years ago. I walked out of my control room and there was Viola Davis. What? And, oh, wow. um, God, uh, 
I can't remember her name right now. I'm so sorry. Another actress. Well, she can't be that good. No, she is. No, it's a, a major actress. I can't re- watch. I can't it's re- like Meryl or something. It was Meryl Streep. Oh, uh, I sure it was. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Thank you. It was Viola Davis and Meryl Streep, and they were both standing right there. And I just all I could say was hello, and you know, just keep yeah. walking. Yes, it was Meryl Streep. Thank you, your mind reader. Goodness gracious me! Now, um, you wouldn't know this, Jonathan, but Meryl was just in the film version of a Broadway show that Josh originated on Broadway. Uh, well, obviously not the same character. It was the prom. Now, um, I wanted to actually ask you about this because, if I'm honest, I've heard a lot of opinions from everyone else and anyone who wasn't involved uh so i don't know if i'll put it in the episode what what were your thoughts on the james corden casting and that whole controversy that uh... um i mean my my thoughts are sort of Mm double-sided one first of all business-wise and if you're in this industry you have to think of it as a business Mm -hmm. show business not show best friends you know james corden is a huge name meryl is a huge Mm -hmm. name like it or not the film would not have happened without huge names Mm -hmm. period i knew that james was gonna do the film yeah he didn't say it but um we worked together for about a week on the tony awards on the opening number and he was always at the prom in interviews. He was always talking about the prom. Uh, when I met his agent, his agent was going to see the prom. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. you're Barry in the film. Yep. Now it makes sense. On the other hand, as like as a queer person, and um, I do feel like it's important for queer people to be able to play queer roles. Mm-hmm and trans people to be able to play trans roles. You know, it's it just makes me feel weird. It would be like seeing a, a production of Once on this Island with a bunch of like white people, oh, for me. Welcome to Australia, Josh. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but at the same time, I, I'm not gonna lose sleep over it. Mm-hmm. Nothing is the definitive production of anything. No, that's the point of theater. And James Corden is James Corden. He's an ally to the community. It's, I, you know, I'm not going to, to die and, like, right before I die, be like, Nurse, I must tell you that this ruined my life. You know, like, it didn't. Yeah. Would I prefer that a fat gay person play the role? Yeah. But it's not up to me. Ryan Murphy didn't call me and ask my advice. No. So, yeah. Okay, now I have a question, Josh. And I, and I completely, 100% understand your perspective on a, a, a queer actor playing a queer role, trans, trans, you know, special needs, handicapped, whatever the paradigm may be. But will that situation ever change when the talent will just get any role? You know what I'm saying? Because like for me, if I had to, rely on black hollywood for employment i would never work hmm. and if i personally say like the only time in my life i felt like i should have gotten this gig i did a pilot for telepictures right called the preachers it was four black preachers from the south it was a talk show boom 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 i nailed it i killed the pilot everything came under budget under schedule etc cetera, etc cetera. i didn't even get the interview for the when, when it went into production a british oh. director got it now if anything, a, a talk show with four black preachers from the South, as a black director, I was hoping I would have a shot, but I didn't even get it. But what, what my question is this, do you ever think there will become a t- there should come a time when no matter who you are, you can do anything? Because I'm sure you could do any role that you want to do. 
correct? Yes. Even though, even though sometimes our heart is broken when something, man, this is so me, this is so my wheelhouse, I would be perfect for this. And then the power of celebrity, the power of name, the power of whatever decision-making process that the bean counters and executives make excludes us from doing so. So it's, to me, it's yes. like a double-edged sword. We should be able to do everything and anything. I agree. That's mm -hmm. the thing. It's not all. It's not all black and white. Talent is talent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, I also believe the best person for the job should get the job. Yeah. Um. You know, I don't have all the answers. I don't think anybody does. I do think that this goes into a larger conversation of: Are we policing ourselves too much? Is that going to affect great art being made? Who knows? Um, but there will always be a side of me that, um, not like I want to be seen physically, personally, me as me, but I want to be able to feel seen. Yeah. And um, so there also with the prom, I was so close to it that it's hard not to feel a certain way. Yeah about something yeah you know yeah, yeah I, I think i think with, with most artists when you when you work on something and you're connected to it especially something that was in your wheelhouse or something that was part of your past artistically and something that you knew about a long time ago that were that was part of your personal story and then when this opportunity to create something that's relative to that that's happened to me plenty of times on projects and it goes yeah. to somewhere that's not even connected. You go like, ah, yeah. it's kind of like, it drives you nuts. But it's hard to put it behind you and then keep moving forward with your craft. Yeah. But with um the, the NAACP awards, did um because you're not with them anymore, are you? No, no. What, see, no. but see, once again, Josh, this is like the executives who make the decision. So they hired a new production company. And of course, the new production company goes with their team. And after doing the show for five or six years and being the first director to do it live mm. when it was on uh, NBC, I, I get shown the door. Yeah. But that's part of the business. And yeah. it's hard. To, it's hard not to take some of that stuff personally. And, and it's, it's hard for you sometimes just to get over it and move forward. But that's what we have to do because the hardest part, Josh, for me personally, is not to take it personally, even though it's so hard not to do. Yeah. There's a saying that I love called champions adjust. I view all of us artists as champions. We have picked a hard career <laughs> and we constantly have to adjust. I actually think that artists are probably going to do the best with a transition from lockdown to quote unquote normal-ish life again, because we're constantly having to adjust. We're constantly having to take a hit, take a win, move this way, move that way. Um, you know, so I think that things, things will always hurt. Getting turned down from the role of like Oliver when I was 10, that still fracking hurts. I would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you move on and uh, you have to. Also, we're not fighting ISIS. No. We're not fighting. We're not saving a baby in a, in a well. You know, we're going to be okay. Yeah. You're going to be okay, but at the same time, it, it, it's it's I, I have the utmost respect for people in front of the camera. I could never do it. I mean, I haven't, it hasn't been till recently where I walk into interviews with total confidence because I, I have more of a, I don't give a fuck attitude anymore because I'm securing who I am as a person and my skill set and what I've done. But at the same time, 
just the sense of rejection and this and this and this and that like oh my god you know it's like did i wear the wrong thing into the interview did i not mention something key but did you realize i was just up for another project a network project the executive producer wanted me the showrunner wanted me but the network executive wanted to hire his friend so i lost out on that gig so it's like it's not me it's that well i'm gonna tell you what every time you or i lose out on a gig i'm gonna host a midnight vigil on the TKTS <laughs> steps in New York, and just to raise awareness. That's all. Call, call it the rejection hour. The rejection hour. I just respect for you for for people who can be in front of the camera constantly and do that. I, I just I don't see how actors do it, man. It's it's amazing. The freedom. Well, thanks. I, I feel the same way about about what you do because the hours that you have to put in are insane. And not on top of that, because I know what I'm like at like hour 12 on the day, you know, <laughs> you also have to have those people skills to not be a total dick to people. Yes. You know, to get the product that you want. And also, nobody likes working with a dick. So, like, you want the next job, you better play it cool. You know, yeah. happy to be there, easy to work with. <laughs> but some people yeah. do get, you know, it's like all these stories about the bad behavior yeah. on set. How that's kind of, you know, from the hashtag Me Too to bullying and all this. Some assholes keep going and going and going. And then you go like, how how is this happening? when you defer, you prefer to say have leadership skills and keep an atmosphere and keep a production community to keep everything like family but in a positive sense but yet the people who are, are abusive you know keep keep riding hard man it's, it's crazy sometimes i worked for weinstein for about oh three years on and off and granted <laughs> he liked me i was never in the crosshairs Hang he on, thought how i much was did he I, like you Let's just, let's oh, just clarify this. Well, I still work in theater, so not that much. Okay. But um, actually, though, my mom did ask that. She was like, did he ever? And I was like, no, mother, <laughs> shut up. Um, but watching the environment around him was insane. But there was always a feeling like he had your family held hostage in the next room and they could be like executed at any moment and nobody would bat an eye you know like it was insane being in that space with that kind of power and then being on the outside like the woman who uh was wiretapped by the fbi that came to see the show with him you know like i remember that when that was in the papers when the accusation came out and i was like she was just at the show why would why would she come to the show if that just happened being so stupid and ignorant you know but like all of that happened right there. It, it, it was insane, but yeah, I hope that we're moving in a better direction. Lord knows, like I'm also not really into cancel culture because how do you learn and grow? You know, mm -hmm. I believe in accountability. I believe in consequences. Yes. Um, but also there's plenty of shit that I've done that I am not proud of. Plenty of moments. <laughs> that I've had with people that I am not proud of. You know, I sort of look back at Andy Warhol and think like everybody will be canceled in the future for 15 minutes. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe so. But, but here's the deal. The part of that is that that cancel culture meme has taken advantage of the aspects of, of accountability and being responsible for your actions. It's like the hashtag movement, right? How the algorithm can take something that's positive, like responsible for your actions, accountability, and then the hashtag will turn it into cancel culture. 
or if you say empathy and love, compassion and understanding, and then the algorithm would turn into hashtag, oh, you're woke. It's like, no, it, it's, it's, in other words, I'm just frustrated how, how, how technology has taken positive aspects and made it negative for people. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's like twisting of the words. I've gotten to a point with social media where I basically just post and run away. Yeah. Every now and then I look and I'll like get back to people. I mean, you can vouch for this. I'll get yes. back to them like 20 years later, just yep. because I'm like, I, it's, it's making me anxious. I, I, I don't think the world is this black and white. I think everything's just sort of a gray area and you know, it's, it's like an example, Scott Rudin, mm -hmm. Scott Rudin. I don't think he's going to like become Glenda the good anytime soon. I also don't want to work for him. Yes. I think he deserves what he got at the same time though, online, it feels like everybody just wants him to be publicly executed. Yeah. It makes them feel better. And it's like, oh, uh, 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 you know, like, yeah. It just makes me uncomfortable at this point. Just don't read the comment section. No. I, I say myself, I never read the comment section on any article that might be controversial because it just breaks my heart. <laughs> I know people are so crazy. They're wackadoo. <laughs> There's somebody I went to high school with that I don't even remember. I looked him up in the yearbook and I'm like, I don't remember you. And he posts the most insane, horrible things. <laughs> I haven't unfriended him because I, a part of me is curious and a part of me is also just like, I live in such a bubble. Like I want to see the other, like the other take of this as insane as it is. Mm -hmm. But anyway, anyway, we're, we're all talking like real stuff when we're supposed <laughs> to be talking Aussie musicals. Yes, no issue. Uh, that's a very good segue because Australians are insane. Anyways, <laughs> thank you for doing it for me. Uh, I was going to say, uh, RuPaul says it best that when, when these things happen, like the Scott Rudin thing, people throw themselves in front of that bus and make it all about them. And, and that's why you have the incident and then there's so much of an echo chamber around it because everyone throws themselves into that. And at the end of the day, I'll, I'll make jokes and, and smart ass comments and then well keep making jokes because laughter is so important i think it's the best medicine tell me about it i think it's important to laugh at things that maybe we shouldn't even laugh at just because the world is so crazy it's important to laugh at the ridiculous mm -hmm. it's a great release no i i completely agree on that you're not going to really see me losing my head unless you listen to this show then you're going to hear me rant about ridiculous things here yeah, and Jonathan and I think you're totally stupid, so you're right on. I'm just kidding. He's known me for for a few years now, so he's seen a lot of stupidity come out of me, I tell you that. <laughs> I still tell people your chocolate succulent joke. Yes. Oh, and think about it, if I was to post that now, I'd probably get accused of racism or something, because I'm, I'm making a joke with chocolate succulents and liking them to Idris Elba. And let's face it, he is a chocolate succulent. <laughs> But just that's the, what people are doing now. There's no context behind a joke. It's just the keywords. We're, we're seeing the buzzwords. And that's all. It doesn't matter if you're hateful or not. And, and people like you, Jonathan, have, have always reaffirmed to me that if I know who I am and I know what my morals are and where my heart lies, then don't give a fuck what anyone else says to me. So I, I look forward to being cancelled because I do know who I am. But I'll have people who don't know who I am telling me who and what I am. Well, there's a there's a great book called Yes, I Can Say That by the delightful Judy Gold. 
all about that kind of comedy and um it's really really well written mm -hmm. it's not an argument for like say whatever the fuck you want but it it goes into the history of comedy and the smart comics and how jokes have helped us as a society move past things from like the early 1900s through now you know it's yeah. it's a really fascinating book yeah yes i can say that yeah the other day i was watching the kids in the hall do you, okay. ever, do you yeah. remember that that comedy troupe yeah with um love them they follow the whole team and i was watching some early episodes and i and i always remembered how insightful they were but they were never really mean-spirited mm -hmm. mm. but some of their observations about people and society and structure and it was always always very entertaining and I've always enjoyed them, you know. Yeah. And then you fast forward to like, you know, Key and Pill, how they were like very insightful social commentary, issues of race and class and all <laughs> that, which was very, very hard and biting, which was an extension of maybe Dave Chappelle's work, which is very harsh and very in your face and but wasn't really mean spirited, but it, it pulled yeah. no punches. So the evolution of comedy and observation and, and being a cervic or whatever night is just it's something to behold yeah. and appreciate and I'm, I'm assuming comedic storytellers yeah. as a reflection of us the gay wedding sketch on key and peel is maybe my favorite sketch ever have to look that up. it's so funny i'm gonna have to look that one up mine's just the zombie one that when the zombies uh -huh. were racist <laughs> remember <laughs> and, and the classic when they come up to the corner and and the, and the woman like the zombies are in the car and she locks the car door <laughs> there. or the one zombie who clutched her purse as they were walking by and they're like what the fuck what is this you know it was, like, it was absurd but very very good thank god for comedy there was an incident um I probably shouldn't talk about this on air, but it, it relates to sort of all this and knowing where you come from and, and context and, and all that. In 2016, I was in Hawaii at a club and I wanted to say to somebody, I see what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement because it had just started on. Right. And I want to say from Australia, we see this sort of thing go on and we feel powerless and voiceless that, you know, we want to be able to say something and all that. So I clarified, I didn't know if it was from Canada or fucking Mexico or from America or, or whatnot. And so I said to him, I said, you're African-American, right? Casually, just to clarify, he got so offended at me. He started yelling at me. He got the security guard and I got kicked out of that club for being a racist. Oh my God. Was he, what, was he from America? Yeah. Yeah, he was. I remember I, I messaged you, Jonathan, and I asked you, is this a racist thing to ask? Because I'm here on American soil. And I was trying to to express something positive to somebody that this is really fucking shit. And we see this. We can see this from Australia. We see every massacre. We see everything that yeah. goes on in America. And, and, and some of us just feel powerless. And especially with the communities that we live in, the, the areas we live in, that we might live in conservative areas. So we can't really go around our neighborhood and, and say stuff because it's a volatile area. And, and uh, yeah, so I get kicked out of a club for it. <laughs> well, that was the individual. That was that yeah. individual. Because sometimes it, 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 when you're, when you're like one thing I've, growing up, it was always uh, my parents, my grandparents, the world is yours. And plus yeah. being a military brat, we moved around all the time. So it, to me, it was like, the world is mine. It, it's, it's beautiful. So whenever I came across people, other cultures, other situations, I was never afraid to ask a question. 
I was I was careful how I approached them because a yeah. big dude I want to think I was threatening him or something like that. Yeah. But I was just, oh, do you mind? I have a question. Do you mind if I ask, ask you a question? And then I would say, oh, what does this signify? What is this color pattern in your culture? Because I remember recently I was in um, Northern California and the Sikhs and my cab driver was a Sikh and he, and the turbans are just so well layered and tight. Yeah. So I just start talking to him about, you know, when did you first learn how to rap? Is it because all, all the six that I see, their turbans are just fucking tight and colorful. And I was and I was asking about the color patterns, when they first learned how to rap, blah, 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 culture. And we had the best conversation going from the hotel to the airport, all about this, the religion, this, this, this. Yeah. It just opened up. Same with last time I was in Australia, talking to the cab driver about their medical, you know, about the, you know, free, how, how the, uh, the hospitals work and this and this and how long he's been in Australia and his home country and when he migrated now and it just leads to this wonderful conversations where you get that feeling of like one planet one people you know mm -hmm. we're all in this together and learning about other people and that's that, that's the best part about traveling and communicating so sorry you had that experience because it could have opened up to a great perspective from his perspective versus your observations and all that and make that connection but you know that's some right. people too sensitive Look, uh, three nights later, I got spiked with cocaine. I got drugged. Uh, I remember waking up, freaking out that my nephew, who was six, I think at the time, five or six years old at the time, he wasn't there. So I've leapt out off the couch. I remember climbing a fence. I went to the gatehouse. I told them my child is missing. So they called a taxi for me. They took me to the backpackers. And when I got there, there was six fucking cop cars waiting. And they were searching my room looking for drugs. And I'm standing there holding out my arms, showing them like there's no puncture marks in my fucking arms. Like, what that's, what's that going to prove for crying out loud? I'm like, I'm not on drugs. Like, seriously, I'm here by myself. How scary. Because right? I, was, I was. I was by myself in, in your country, in, in Hawaii, thinking that my nephew, because I raised my nephew with my parents, so the child that's been put into our care has gone missing in a foreign country under my care. Uh, and they let me stay in the country. That's that's all I can say. <laughs> I didn't get deported. Oh, that's insane. It was one of the scariest times of my life. I was bawling my eyes out. Mum um, and dad and, and my nephew weren't going to be there for another five days or something. Oh, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. That's terrifying. Oh, look, it's, it's it happened now. Two nights later, I didn't learn my lesson about the, the um, African-American thing. And I asked another guy and he said, you fucking ask me again, I'll cut your head off. So that was sort of kind of a little bit terrifying, <laughs> but I survived that. Uh, and I also had another guy threaten to shove a pole up my ass oh my because God. I made a joke that, oh, so you like the pole, do you? Because he's carrying around a fucking pole. Why are you carrying around a pole if you don't like the pole? I think oh my God. I'm just never going to leave my apartment again. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't think you're going to do any punch with Aaron. Oh, my God. I've traveled alone since then. Uh, and then the next ship I got on to, to sail around the bottom of Australia to New Zealand and up to Sydney, I got so goddamn drunk on 17 or something whiskey shots that I ended up at the crew bar below deck where I'm not allowed through all the security doors, through all the, the watertight flood doors and all that. And I was found in the crew bar sitting there by myself. Nice. I hope you were singing a song from Follies. No, no, I was drunk off my fucking face. 
and the DJ found me luckily because he he was someone I'd made friends with. So when I got in trouble for that, I was sitting there in an Elmo t-shirt. So I thought <laughs> if I'm going to get kicked off or if they're going to tell me off, I'm going to at least look like I'm somebody who doesn't, you know, cause trouble. Well, also, I'd be like, this is your fault. How how did you let me get here? This is your fault. Exactly. How did I? How did it, someone had to have told me? So to anyone who's listening to this, don't go traveling with me. Do not go traveling with me. I I am not good news. I I don't try to cause trouble. I try to have fun, but apparently I just don't know how. I I don't think I've ever had a bad experience traveling. Haven't you? Oh God, every every trip for me. No, I I I've, I no, I just. Like even even when I was I spent a month in Shanghai, and I would oh, I would leave when I wasn't working I would just walk the streets and walk some of these back little villages and you know walking on cobblestone roads roads that were probably what a thousand years old it felt like you know and you know of course people are eyeballing me and looking because you know it's yeah. like I'm a fish out of water but I just engage and talk and smile and nod and you know, give a thumbs up and make yeah. eye contact and just, and then if somebody could speak English, you know, have a, a little conversation and, you know, it's, 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 it's what I love the most about traveling though. Yeah. See my experience with China was fine, but when I got to Hong Kong, I got escorted to immigration. <laughs> <laughs> This summer, winter, spring, or fall, the first ever musical theater sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! A thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Denny, Louise Demon, and Oliver Savile, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! Mwah, mwah. have I been mentoring you? Three months? Two years. So her name is Henrietta? The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. You can watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theater charities, acting for others, and the theater's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice tights. So when it, so I heard that Broadway is going to be opening up soon there? Uh, I mean, they're planning on the fall. They announced that everything's opening on like the 19th or something, but that was news to everyone. Mm -hmm. Every yeah. like Broadway producer was like, oh, we are? So I think everybody's planning on the fall. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope it works out well, because I remember last year in 2020, I, I directed a project called Backstage on Broadway. It was from there. We had cast members from The Lion King, Phantom of the Opera, Frozen, and it was a corporate gig for Chase, but we did maybe like 20 musical performances. We had everything kind of COVID protocol, house band, and it was like a two and a half hour live show. And I directed it from my 
office here in LA, but the cameras and everything were in New York at the bowling alley and it worked out flawlessly. So I, I figured there was going to be some new adjustments and people maybe string, streaming some of the theatrical performances and mm -hmm. approaching things differently as we go from 2021 to 2022. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll see. It's a new world. Yeah. yeah. The whole new world. I'm just about to post an episode, uh, probably in the next 24 hours, um, with a stage manager from Canada, a professional stage manager. And um, the past couple of months, they've actually been doing streamed theater. But because of the laws, they're not able to actually stream it live. So they've had to record it or pre-record and then stream. So it's happening. Yeah. Did they say why they couldn't do it live? Um, no, it was just government. Oh, God. I think it has to do with um, with SAG, I think. Oh, okay. The stage union has always made it made a huge deal about, like, theater is live <clears throat> and la, 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 la. And so, obviously, they weren't prepared for theater not being able to exist. Mm -hmm. And then it became a turf war between equity and SAG. I don't know how Canada was affected, but I imagine it was sort of the same thing, um, you know, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, here in Australia, our theatres are open. So I know. I yes. want to go there. Yes. No, I, uh, I, I would say replace Hollywood and Broadway and put it all in Australia and I would be happy because then I don't have to travel to America. I'm down. I'm down to move. Let's go. Yes, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, Josh, I, Josh, I have a question for you. Have you seen how COVID affected, I know the theaters and everything being open, but have you seen any adjustments with your union as far as the coverage? Like you talk about this equity sag thing with streaming live versus being pre-recorded. Have you seen many movement as far as the unions making adjustments to the talent and how things are I covered? haven't seen shit. I haven't seen anything. Everything has been so secretive as far as theater goes from the theater owners to the union. I imagine it's because of legal things, or maybe it's just that old theater tradition of nobody saying a thing to anybody about anything, okay. which is why there's so much uproar within the community, I guess. But um, I don't know. It's like we're in a pandemic. What do you want everybody to do? Also, theater is different than other mediums because it's so unaffordable. The business model is so wackadoo that you need to fill a huge theater with people paying a lot of money to sit very close with one another and backstage conditions that were built in like 1900. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just, I, I'm not sure what people, like what, what, what will happen, what will be done or what's happening at all. So it's, um, you know, it's a uh, I can't control it. So I try to just go day by day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I found myself as, as a member of the Directors Guild. Um, I've noticed over since the pandemic, the changes of technology and coverage of events. And I had mentioned earlier how I directed a couple projects from home using my browser, my iPad, my iPhone, and, you know, commercial apps and whatnot. So even like for theater, even to generate new revenue streams of, you know, streaming those performances live on, on a browser outlet and charging minimum fees to get more traffic, things who mm -hmm. people can't fly to New York or go to the Broadway theater. And, and so even in regards to say the directors that might be working in your theater, 
I've noticed that there's more IT, IP type technicians doing, you know, using these softwares like, you know, I'll say, I'll use the term cloud-based production, right? Like mm. vMix, OBS, things of that nature, covering pretty large scale events out of the jurisdiction of like the director's guild because they're more, you know, um, software program users than the actual traditional director in a theater type situation. So, I sure. mean, those things are never going to go back. So it looks, I feel like our, our union should embrace these changes in technology and make sure they get under our jurisdiction or at least have our involvement in the coverage of these events. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, especially when it comes to money. Yeah. Because <laughs> wasn't that what, what the whole bloody uh, 2007 or whenever it was, writer strike was about, was about streaming revenue? Um. Yeah, and then Hollywood responded by saying... um. Let's make reality shows. Yep. You know, yeah, and yeah. um <laughs> you know, my dad used to always say, um, he would be like, Josh, you know the golden rule? And I'd be like, What? He's like, the person with the gold makes the rules. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, Up oh, high cat. But anyways, we should move on <laughs> because this week I gave you guys an Aussie glam rock album, which was the Sky Hooks. Which I loved. You loved. Did you? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I did say it was pretty sleazy. Well, I really love glam rock. I love that yep. era. And um, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, so they're, they're a big band here, but they're not really known around the world. So that's why I sort of thought it, that would be a good choice for this week. So normally it would be some sort of thrash metal, but um, I thought, no, Skyhooks, I've been talking about them a fair bit lately. Some of their songs are, are you know, big standards here very much that you guys probably yeah. haven't heard. So, are, are they a big club band there? Um, they're more of a pub band, yeah. And we're talking about hits and riffs, right? Yeah. Right, because yeah, yeah. like, like my first impression, right, listened to all the tracks, was like, it, it, it kind of felt like I was about to listen to one of those 1970s late night commercials, you know, like Slim Whitman or Boxcar Will or Zamfir, you know, this album, all the greatest yep. hits, you know, yep. it was like a, a combination Shana Na vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah, from Greece. And then like that first track, it was almost like a the surf beats, Dick Dale guitar. Sometimes it felt like the Osmonds. And then that one track, I think it was track 17, uh, Jukebox in Siberia. I was I was ready for, mm -hmm. it came it got a slower version of the Dick Kennedy's Holiday in Cambodia. Oh, with a slow swing knockoff, you know, with a Zappa yeah. hook. So that was my imp impressions of the album. But I, I kind of enjoyed it. It was almost like, you know, state fair, you know, local concert, local bar yeah. band playing all the greatest hits and you know just get drunk and yeah yeah that, that's very much what they were and then they became really big uh and shirley yeah. strawn the, the lead singer he was very charismatic and and very well loved in australia and he died almost 20 years ago in august oh. um he had a, a tv show at the time house renovations it was called our house and the theme song was actually madness our house as in our house in the middle of our street which our street. yeah good we know that otherwise i'd have to kick his both out of the room <laughs> well i had a weird experience because i don't have spotify so i just did it on youtube so i would get to uh see all the music videos with it uh -huh. and uh it was really fun very over the top one of them um red simons he's now a uh, very big conservative voice in australian media australian talkback radio so he's 
often being cancelled every other week. Uh-huh. And I sort of think that when you look at the older conservatives today, remember they were all getting their tits out in the 70s yeah. in Australia, especially because that's what they were doing in Australia in the 70s. I know I've seen my parents' photos. Thank you very much, mum and dad. Uh, <laughs> but yes. So anyways, I, I've written a, a little review, which I, was really redundant because I love the sky hooks, but I thought I'll, I'll do something. So yes, yeah, so I'll quickly run through that. And then we'll we'll continue discussing it. When I first sought to cover the skyhooks, I knew things would get sleazy. Little did I know that my inner slut would awaken with a hangover. With much of this album already familiar to me, the memories of a mid to late 80s childhood came back so incredibly vividly that I could taste them. And they tasted like the time I was four years old and sneaked a sip of my dad's beer, only to find out that my mum had used it as an ashtray. I'm kidding. I always went straight for the whiskey. That was served in a glass. Anyway, as a child, many of these songs were catchy. As an adult, all I'm catching from them is herpes. Not that I'm complaining, because I hadn't until now realised the whimsy behind Freddie Strauss's drumming. Even though the biting, almost taunting vocals of the late great Shirley Strawn have always snapped, crackled and popped across many Aussie barbecues over the years, where some past albums I've renewed have featured theatrical sounds or vocals, quite often one element was left behind. But in this selection of the Skyhooks' most popular hits and riffs, all the elements came together to show why they are not only one of Australia's greatest bands, but one of our most unique, that managed to carve their own sound, leave a lasting legacy in rock, as well as encompass the sound and feeling of 1970s Australia, when even the most awkward of dorks like me could wake up with a hangover after a night of slutting around. <laughs> Five stars. I give a shout out to all the hungover sluts out there that are listening. And I, I describe this as musical toxic waste, which is a compliment, I assure you that, because it is... It's gritty and it's raw and it's dirty and it's sleazy and and you can imagine a topless barmaid serving you drinks while this is playing and that was very much my childhood because my auntie and uncle owned a pub and there was a topless barmaid so that should explain a lot about me anyways i love that bravo <laughs> oh, thank you a lot of them are sort of a little bit more folky than what i remembered them being because the first half of the album like the living in the 70s uh horror movie and baldwin calling and uh what's the other one ego is not a dirty word like they're massive hits in australia so they're they're sort of the sound i associate with the the skyhooks so i did appreciate some of the the later songs on the album um, and Women in Uniform, I'd always heard that song, always mentioned. I think it's even been covered by Iron Maiden, but I'd never heard it. All right. So, so for me, the, the, uh, the track three, the horror movie one, yep. that that gave me a, a complete The Osmonds. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it did. During their little rock thing. Um, God, what was that one song about Geronimo or, or Crazy Horse? Do you remember Crazy Horse by the Osmonds? Mm-hmm. Nope. Listen, listen to that riff, and and that track three took me right there. Yeah. So it, it, every song here kind of connected to something in an American pop, early rock and roll kind of bar band feel to things. And it wasn't hardcore like punk influence or or hard edgy, but they all had a, a feel to it. Yeah. You know, like even even track one, it was like it was kind of like I said, like beach beach music, that beach vibe. Mm-hmm the guitar twang and a little bit of psychedelic riffs on it also. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of the albums we've reviewed, I've heard the sky hooks in them. 
so I've heard this legacy or at least that that sound come from sort of bands that maybe are only 10 years old or so because these guys haven't been around for a long while obviously with um Shirley dead for 20 years now but I think they only lasted till 94 or something like that so um mm. yeah no they we're not going to get any more music from them anytime soon but the sound that they created I think I've heard it in other albums so, so you're saying other other national artists or other local artists influenced by them no international international, international? yeah a, a right. few, um what was it that we did oh dio um Gen uh, joanna gleason picked the album um holy rider i think it's called by dio i heard skyhooks in that and i don't think they're all that oh actually they're about 10 years apart i think yeah. Watch some of their music videos because you can also see um, the whole glam movement, mm. you know, and how much all these artists, I think, really inspired each yeah. other. Um, you know, I could see similarities between them and many other yeah. bands. No, definitely. And then also, because I, I, I remember a lot of their performances, um, like on TV, we'd see like top, uh, not top of the pops, we'd have Countdown, a show in Australia. Um, and another one called Hey Hey It's Saturday, which is uh, recently in the news for racism. Oh, no. <laughs> as, is, as is everything from 20 plus years ago, let's face it. Um, but actually, funnily enough, Red Simons, who was in Skyhooks, was a regular on Hey Hey It's Saturday. But it, there'd actually been an incident 10 years ago um, where some, some guys from India did blackface and performed as Michael Jackson. And Harry Connick Jr. got really offended by it. And it was a whole big thing. And I found a post on Facebook the other day where I'm trying to explain to my white friends why this is offensive. <laughs> and I read it and I'm like, holy shit, I was such a social justice warrior back then. <laughs> Nowadays, I'm just like, I can't give a fuck. I really can't just, just have your dramas. But I really was back then, <laughs> like fighting with everyone about it. I mean, anyways, that, that's off topic. Um, you know, it, Australia in, in those times, it, there's a term for exploitation, which obviously we've got, you know, black exploitation and, and all those sort of terms. This was very much the same thing. It was over the top, a lot of sex. There was nudity on, on you know, primetime TV. So you'd see titties every other night and shows like number 96 and prisoner and, and stuff like that and swearing and a very, very, very liberal times compared to how it's then sort of done a bit of a wave, I think. Um, well, maybe that's why Miracle City was such a big hit. Possibly, yeah. So pure and so godly. No, I was going to say, you mentioned Miracle City, and I was trying, after listening to that album, it, was it parody, satire, or is it just commentary on evangelical religious values in the church or am I jumping into the next song too soon? Um, no, no, I think it, it was a, um, I think it was inspired by uh, Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was not my journey, that show. It was not my no. journey. No, I just thought it would no. be funny sleezes and Jesus. Well, you definitely, definitely got Jesus in there. I mean, I personally don't find Tammy Faye Baker all that interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's interesting to a point, but, um, and everybody on the album is super talented. It's produced well, all of that. Great job. Um, I just think I've heard it all before. Yeah. And it was sort of the generic version of 
really great music that I've heard before. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. And um, Nick Enright, who wrote it, I've seen one of his shows before, uh, The Venetian Twins, which I think was a Shakespeare play, I believe. Where's Judy Dench when you need her? Um, but anyways, it's a, it's a satirical comedy about sort of two twins. Um, and it was, but it was done in an Australian style. So Australian accents and, and jokes and stuff like that. And I remember loving that. That was great. And the music and that was great. But um, yeah, no, I, I kind of feel like Miracle City, you know, I thought it was oversung. I really did. I, there's one particular, I don't want to name her because I've seen her in a few shows now and she is very, very, very talented. Stop singing fucking soul. <laughs> oh my God. Well, Hey, that remember she's hired. That's not necessarily their fault. I know. Um, I know. I know. I know. I know she's professional for a reason. And I know I'm just some asshole with an opinion and, but it doesn't sound Because good. everything was the same. <laughs> There was no story. Yeah. I yeah, you couldn't get much from it, could you? It's supposed to be done in real time, the yeah. show. And I just, there was nothing about an individual. It was just generic in the sense that, like, you never, I never felt like, who is this yeah. person? Why are they this way? Yeah. What happened to them? What is their relationship with so-and-so? It was just, let's get people together to sing loud and high, yeah. but not really for any real no. reason. No, right, here's a, yeah. whereas yeah. oh go no, ahead no. my question Sorry. is this because I, I was trying to understand if it was you know was it was it satire was it mockery um, was it the same vein as say like the book of mormon or were they trying to tell a story as far as that world and that's where i was trying to find i was trying to yes. listen to the words in between the songs or the setups of the songs to see if they were setting up something to make sense of the 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 performance is that is that how to interpret that the story yeah. trying to find a story or maybe they just edited all that stuff out and just did the musical numbers themselves but that seems that in, in musical albums that takes away from it if they're not giving you the setup to the performances yeah. uh, you you would at least hear well, comedy in the songs and there was no comedy in i don't think on wikipedia because i had the same question it says that the show it's not a comedy it takes place in real time as like a telecast yeah, it, would of one of their shows so you know i think that's an interesting idea i just think maybe it was misguided yeah. not that anybody's not talented at what they do yay 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 everybody involved yeah. i just don't need to buy a yeah. ticket all right so we, we all agree solid musical and vocal performances yeah everybody's talented um no i i, I can't agree on that sorry there's one person that you fucking hate yeah i just I, no no it's not that i i i think she is really talented i've seen her in, in a few shows right so you're definitely gonna have to edit this out because somebody's gonna go to imdb and try to find the common actress in all those plays that performed in australia but i i just think it's a matter of they've gotten her to do it because they're all white well you're allowed to have your yeah. opinion you know like there are plenty of people that well, there are plenty of people that I think are extremely talented, just not my cup of yep. tea. Just not who I'm like, oh, I'm dying to watch a Macaulay Culkin movie. Yep. You know, don't need to like, yeah. <laughs> you won't be watching um, you know. American Horror Story. Oh, is he going to be on American um, Horror Story? Yes. Yeah. Yes, the next the season. Next, 
And I'm actually kind of excited. Yeah. Listen, if I had, that's one of the series. If I had to be stuck with a series forever, that might be one of my top 10 because every wow. year it's just, and, and of course I, I, I love the animated opens because they always look like a tool video yes. and they're always like the puppeteering abstract and, and American Horror Story is one of my favorite series. Yeah. And, and always a great cast rotating, you know. I loved the Coven season. The Coven and that was the Coven favorite. was one of my favorites, and the one in New Orleans where, where Kathy Bates. That was yeah, Coven. Um, that, that, was, that was Coven. Yeah, that was Coven. Yeah, that was the Coven one when they brought Which Kathy is... Bates back, and she had to be like, is that what she? Their bitch? She, she was the slaveholder. Remember? Yeah, she was like Madame Livalou or whatever. Yeah, who's a real person? Terrifying. Yeah, She's based upon a real person. Terrifying. Yes. Based upon a yeah. Isn't that scary? So, so, uh, <laughs> yes. uh, so awful. Yeah, that's, maybe that's why I love that one so much. And I loved, is it Angela Bassett? Yes, the voodoo queen. Oh my gosh. So ferocious. I love Absolutely. her. And that, and that goes back to one of your, because remember the, the one actress with Down syndrome who played that uh, yeah. character uh -huh. and, and repeated series, you know, where instead of getting a, uh, God, I don't want to. Just getting another actress, but getting man. someone from and, um, from from that from that community to play that role, yeah, yeah. So she nailed it too. Yeah, she was great. Oh, my turn for a name dropping story. Okay, so about twelve years ago, I think it was uh, thirteen years ago, um, Tim Manier, who is a producer and a writer on American Horror Story, um, had a look at something I was doing at the time, um, work-wise, that had to do with Joss Whedon's uh, company, Mutant Enemy, and he said to me, go, do it. Like, wow. get it out there. And within a month or so, I had 200,000 views on my site. So nice. he's sort of kind of responsible for like a lot of things that have, that have happened in the past 13 years in terms of career-wise. Um, so really, I should kind of just accidentally slip him a copy of my novels. Well, tell him to fucking hire us. <laughs> nah, I don't know him that well. I wish. No, you tell him Jonathan and I need a job, and we need it now. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, we sort of went way off topic there. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Kalkin. <laughs> yeah, but see, that that's what's great about conversation. Yes. Leave it open ended. It's like a, I tell my friends whenever I whenever I'm, I'm directing like uh, multi panel, conver you know, talking heads. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the talking head. It's about the flow of the conversation. If it's like a great dinner conversation where everyone's engaged and you're looking around, reaction, this talk, 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 that makes for a more dynamic and a more interesting production. Mm -hmm. from the viewer's standpoint, you know, versus that mm -hmm. talking head, talking head, talking head. It's like fucking dragnet, you know, cut, 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 yep. cut, 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 cut. But a flow, you know, an energy flow up and down, up and down here and there. And then it's, you know, and if it's live, there's no turning back. Fuck it, it's live, yep. right? Yeah. But now you get to go edit. That's it. Yes, I'll have to tell you about it. But yes, anyways, we'll, we should round up the show because I've kept you both long enough and it's what? Quarter past three in the morning here. Oh, you need sleep. <laughs> I, I typically will work and then if I get tired, I'll nap and then I'll wake up and I'll work and then I will nap. Um, and if I'm not editing, I'm, oh. I'm writing novels because I've, I've published three novels already and that Good I had to you. do my own editing and my own proofreading. So there, there really is, I don't stop. 
because when I stop, I get bored and you. I feel single and I get lonely and I'm like, I need a boyfriend. No, I'm going to work. So I just keep working until I uh, nice, have a nice. date tomorrow night. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. Get some rest. Yes. No, right. but anyway, so thank you both for, for joining me today. Thank you for having us. This was so fun. Absolutely. Yes. And Josh, where can people find you on social media? I'm on Instagram. Yep. I'm on Twitter. Um, at Josh period layman on Instagram. At Josh layman on Twitter. I'm not on no TikTok. Talk. Nope. And um, yeah, feel free to say yes. hi. Awesome. And you've got your podcast, Josh Swallows Broadway, which is available mm -hmm. across all. Everywhere you get your podcast, you can listen to me talk to some funny bitches. We've got um, Tonya Pinkins is actually coming up. I, I just listened to your interview with her. I love her. I love her. She's fabulous. Yes, I, I can't wait. I just watched Red Pill. So yes, I watched it at two o'clock in the morning so by fun. myself. So Yeah, yeah. What a fucked up little movie that was. That ending. No, that's not yeah. fair. That was not yeah. Sorry, Jonathan, we're talking about a movie that you haven't <laughs> seen. That I want to be in the sequel. It will, it will, hopefully you'll get to see it soon. Jonathan, where can people yeah. find you on social media? Uh, you can just follow me at JXDirector on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not working right now, so you'll be able to just see all my photography work. I'm just doing photography, yeah. doing art for art's sake doing online classes because I always wanted to go to Berkeley School of Music. So I'm I'm studying online electronic music for fun. And yeah. then Josh, I recently had an interview for a job in New York. Follow me on Twitter. And if I get the gig, I'll DM you and we'll go out and have dinner in New York City. Done. I'm looking you up right now. Jonathan Eck. He has like 1,500 Emmys, Josh. And Emmys are enormous. My cousin yep. and his wife have a few. And like those could be weapons yeah. <laughs> they're huge they could have been the king kong puppet yeah. uh, oh that yeah. thing was amazing oh my god that's look i literally have the program right here because I, uh, i'm upset i have a bit like i think that i should have been king kong <laughs> and that it should have just been the music from songs for a new world by jason robert brown that could be like she cries and you try to hold her anyway um i'm a lot yes. of fun that would have been better um, than what we saw i tell you that because i saw the melbourne version i didn't see broadway after eddie perfect got to it i saw uh melbourne where there was 50 people did music for it yeah i i don't think you miss much over here no, either from what i hear i didn't see it but i'm i'm sure the puppet was cool the puppet was bloody awesome i tell you that but anyways thank you guys so much Alrighty, as I just mentioned, next week we're going to be joined by Tonya Pinkins to talk about her directorial debut, Red Pill. And my extra special guest co-host is actually going to be Jonathan's daughter, Aria, an upcoming filmmaker. So that episode will be out in about a week's time. And the albums we're doing are Jelly's Last Jam, for which Tonya won her Tony Award for juxtaposed against Iggy Pop's Raw Power. And that was chosen by Jonathan X. Yeah, Thank you. have a great day. And welcome anytime and take care. Hero. Awesome. Bye. <laughs>Sorry, yeah, so that's where you do Josh Swallow? It is now. We used to have a real studio in the before times, but um yeah, so I got bored and I was like, well, I have a closet, so might as well go back into it. <laughs> yeah.